Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, the balance between money and happiness, and shifting the focus to find happiness where you are at, the mystery that is Bennett of Sure Design t-shirt fame, haircut disasters, a Jimi Hendrix appreciation moment, the story of a young Ukrainian girl who totaled over 300 kills as a Russian sniper in World War II, and the impossible mathematics of following your dream versus keeping a decent job. Hey, if it wasn't eclectic, it wouldn't be us. And now, asking you all to spread the word that corporations are not people, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, Daniele Bulali, the savage philosopher, the middle finger of the gods. Bury your treasure, put your kids to bed, and most importantly, hide your women. The Drunken Taoist Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 42 of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Getting nearer to the end of our second year of podcasting. And believe it or not, um, we've finally taken the plunge. And we're talking to people about measuring our metrics and see what we actually do out there about maybe actually adding a commercial or two. So I just let you know that because you guys have been so amazing and and the, the listenership has been beyond anything we had ever guessed it would be and now that it's sort of starting to be you know measured and recognized by the 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 people higher up we ask you more than ever if you would please pass it along to some friends tell them to check it out see if they like it especially if it's not their cup of tea because then we'll get oceans of angry email yeah download away download from 19 different computers get your grandma to download get you know she'll like it anyway please we need the numbers but anyway that voice on the other side there's mr daniele bolelli and uh, take it away so let's roll with a couple of intro things. As usual, deep thank you to Datsusara, Onnit.com, and Short Design T-shirts. Our three heroes who help us keep the shows rolling. Hemp gear uh, for Datsusara. The whole range of. I mean, yesterday I was actually yesterday I was in a perfect sponsor moment. I was carrying. Um, I was wearing these like Datsusara long pants that he made that are awesome for martial arts and yoga and stuff. I was wearing a short design t-shirt while I was mixing my own it hemp protein. I was like, what the hell? I'm a living billboard here. But the funny thing well, is you're that- you're chewing some um, Kurokawa chocolate. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like, the beauty of this is that these are all things that I dig. I love my pants, I love the freaking t-shirt, and I was pretty happy with my damn uh, hemp protein thing. So, yes, the guys, guys have awesome products. Check them out. Again, there are uh, links in the episode notes. There are discount codes there, so please use them. I've seen a bunch of people sometime who order some of their products through the Amazon link, which is really sweet, except that you're wow. not getting a discount code that way. So you probably want to use it through the discount code. But for those of you guys who shop on Amazon in other ways, yes, anything you buy, please go through our link. It helps considerably. And uh, on that note, anything else that we need to bring up right well, here at the top? As always, I want to mention that the, the, the Kiva thing is going crazy, guys. The approach for 10,000 is, I believe, 7,600 in the last look. So you really are 
getting a bunch of loans. I mean, when you look at, you can look at the list of all the different loans that have gone out, and it's 247 or something like that. So there's 247 different people that have been affected directly by you guys wanting to help somebody else have a better life. <laughs> I like to get my little fancy alarm sounds out once in a while, but this is a good one. Um, we recorded this May 22nd. I am editing it like June 13th or 14th for release next week. But as of today, uh, our Kiva donations are hitting $9,700 towards a $10,000 goal. And we are over 325 loans now. So the jump is really dramatic. And I just wanted to give you an update as to like right now. Please Check out Kiva.org, join the Team Drunken Taoist, and uh, give a $25 donation to someone somewhere in the world who just tickles your fancy. There's hundreds to choose from. You can help them out in so many different ways. Agriculture, business, help somebody get a laptop. And if you have to have somebody in the United States, you can totally choose that. But this is incredible, and it really means a lot to me that you guys have reacted to one of the things is one of my favorite things to do. Um, so keepit.org, check it out. Back to your regularly scheduled program. No more uh, surprise alarms, but keep it up, everybody. Let's try to see if we can't hit 20,000 by Christmas. That would be awesome. Very, very sweet. There we go. Episode 42, here it comes. Let's roll. some Sunday schooling, but unfortunately, Father Bellelli has been called to the Vatican to have a word with Pope Francis himself. Apparently, Pope Francis got some ideas, you know, he's been in Israel lately, and uh, he's cooking something up and, and needed Father Bellelli's, you know, advice, maybe not advice, but uh, counsel on what to do. So, no Sunday school this week, but uh, two weeks from now, four weeks from now, there'll be a fresh dose of uh, real truth from the good book. Rant time! Sounds like trouble. I teased you last time. Um, actually, probably two times ago by now. I think it was episode 40 when we um, had our own in-studio episode. I teased you guys about something that may happen in the latter part of 2014. Um, enough with the bullshit. Let's, get, let's come clean and tell you exactly what I'm talking about. My tease was about saying it was saying something along the lines of if you guys enjoy Dan Carlin and hardcore history, you may be interested in what's coming, what's going to be coming up here. And beside the fact that yes, we're clearly trying to get Dan back on the podcast, and it's really just a matter of being in the same city at the same time, kind of thing. And Dan is an amazing human being; he's super sweet to us, and all of that. But um, now, what I'm the thing that I'm planning is to start a second podcast something that for those of you guys who dig the story time this would be a very expanded version along the lines i mean and in this case it's just hat off to dan carlin because it's really along the lines of hardcore history there's just no argument about it 
it's um so there you go you know that's the idea is we're going it's uh, think of it as a hardcore history with an accent so if you guys did a hardcore history and uh, you can put up with my accent which i'm guessing you can if you're listening right now then uh, that's the gig that's coming up now as soon as i started working on this i quickly understood why dan take as long as it does between one episode and another because right now i haven't recorded anything yet but i put together the, the research for the first episode that took me about six weeks and this was on a topic that i knew like crazy right i already knew everything that i needed to know i needed to do minimal research so it makes me think jesus whenever there's time to get into more complicated stuff yeah. this is intense well he talks 40 50 books for some subjects exactly and this is with dan's blessing by the way yeah yeah you're right i have to bring this up because it's too funny so this is how we work after i decided you know this is something that i badly want to do if finally there's a reason for all the damn history books i read that had no connection with what i teach in the classroom now i can just go for the juiciest coolest stories without having to worry about tying it all together into a full curriculum or anything so happiness yay pumped up i want to do it and then, of course, I thought, you know what, the the decent thing to do is to call Dan and ask him, because basically anytime you start something that's clearly could be perceived as competition, since you're basically going to end up doing the exact same thing. It's an homage. That's how I look at it, but I also like to make sure it's clear that it's done that way, <laughs> and I want to make sure that he feels that way, because, you know, an homage does not feel like one if the other guy doesn't feel like it is, you know? So I called Dan, and he was insanely nice of course first you know there's always the argument of like what did you think i was gonna say no i do a historical podcast so you can't do one it's like of course you know he had very much uh, the more the merrier kind of attitude very supportive very nice and i told him you know no i get it you know i I, it's not like i'm literally asking even though the way i framed it was a little godfather style where i'm just going to Don Dan and uh, kneeling, kissing the ring and saying, please, Godfather, can... And Dan was like, there may come a time in the future when I have to ask you for a favor. As a matter of fact, he tweeted that. That time may never come. Yes. When I did bring that up and I mentioned <laughs> that on Twitter, he tweeted that exact line. And so I know that now when whenever Dan needs to bury bodies, I'll be on... <laughs> I'll show up with a shovel and have to take care of business. But... Uh, no, it was a really sweet discussion. He was really supportive. And the thing that I told him is like, uh, you know, yes, I kind of do want your blessing, but it's not a matter of uh, asking permission because I understand it's not like that. But at least at bare minimum, I want to do something where I send you a list of topics that I'm planning to cover. So if you're telling me, oh, damn, that's actually one of those is one of them I want to do in the next six months, I don't touch it, you know, and I can bring it up three years later after, you know, your version and got... And even then, then it's just too cool. He was just like, he was laughing. He's like, man, nobody treats me this nice. You know, he's like, this is just, and it felt good to have that kind of dialogue because I felt that we were very appreciative of each other's work, very supportive of each other. It was Kindred nice. spirits. And, uh, and so again, Dan is one of those people that um, he noticed too. He said, man, every time you bring me up, you always say super nice things about me. And the thing is, so many times I run into human beings that I'm like, he's really cool, but there's also this and this. Oh, yeah, I really love what he does, except that he's also a freak about this and this other thing. There's always that. So it's kind of hard to be fully enthusiastic about things a lot of the time, and it bugs me. I would love to be able to be. 
So when I run into somebody like Dan, who's just a good human being all around, I'm happy to just, I can't believe how good this guy is, and just go off on it because it's, uh, you know, there's too much crap in the world. It's nice to put the accent on good human beings and on good things, and Dan is definitely one of those. I love his work 110%. Interactions uh, we have had with him, he has been great to us. So, I mean, there's really no one tiny thing I would say about Dan that's anything but full-on appreciation. So, <laughs> yes, Don Dan, I kneel again and kiss the ring one more time. This episode of We Love Dan Carlin is brought to you by Sure Design. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Uh, yeah, so... Okay. He's a good cat. I hope we don't find out there's 50 bodies buried in his backyard. But if it was, it's probably serial killers that needed killing anyway. Exactly. So. And uh, Just I'll, cleaning up the mess for everybody. I don't need to find out, Godfather. <laughs> you just tell me what to bury and where, and I'll take care of business. So. All right, Luca. Thank you. But yeah, with um, it's nice, because you know, having his blessing, having his insight, having his advice is uh, definitely makes me feel good about it, makes me feel even more excited about the whole thing, and so I'm ready to roll. Now, keep in mind that what I'm planning to do is I want to fully research and record about three to four episodes before I ever release the first one because I want to buy myself a caution. I don't want to, you know, release an episode and then three months later, four months later, because it takes so damn long to research while at the same time I'm teaching, while at the same time I have to write a book or, you know, there's too much stuff going on. So I want to have a give myself a bit of a cushion there to have three four episodes in the bag before the first one is released to the world i'm expecting that the first one should be out before the end of 2014 that's about as far as i'll go i don't know if i can get more than that before the end of 2014 but that's that's the plan by the way the podcast is still nameless because uh, apparently every freaking name having to do with the world history has been taken by somebody so I'm asking permissions left and right. I'm doing all this stuff. We're trying to figure out which ones we can get. But, um, you know, we're still uh, in the process. So that is that for the, um, the whole history podcast. And uh, let's roll with that. Mr. Rich, yes, I'll sir. bring you a question and an issue on I'm a ready. secondary part of the rant. Yes. Um, this is, you know, one of the themes that people have talked about forever. So I don't exactly expect that in the next few minutes we're going to solve it once and for all and come to the final conclusion. Or maybe we are. Who knows? You know, toss it out there. Let's see. But connection between financial well-being slash money and happiness. How much do you need of one to have the other? Is there a connection? Is there a negative connection? Is there, how does it work, you know? Because clearly, you know, we all feel the pressure. None of us is just uh, sitting under a tree, meditating, uh, receiving the offerings of nature and living off that. So there clearly is the idea that we do need some money in order to have a quality of life that we're happy with. And at the same time, the usual trick is the rat race where you get caught and, you know, I need to make more money in order to have the quality of life I want, except that the process of making more money is making sure that you'll never have the quality of life you want because you don't have the time and energy for that. And so you get caught in that game where it just never, never fully works. Now, those two are the extremes. There probably is something in between where one can find a decent balance of happiness money thing. But I don't know. I throw the ball at you and go dunk it. I think we find in study after study that 
where people aren't chasing the dollar every step of the day, and, and this is more in, in poor countries for sure, mm-hmm. they seem a lot happier. Hmm. That it's nice to go home and see mama, you know, and right. she'll have a little bit of dinner going and you're not chasing it. And I think, thankfully, I believe I realized, you know, late 30s, that chasing that BMW is the dumbest thing you could ever do. Yep. Right. You know, and unfortunately in our society, all they do is shove that down your throat every day. Mm-hmm. Every car commercial, especially something directed to me, it's damn luxury cars and dick pills. Right. You know, there's definitely a disconnect with happiness there because, you know, I, I somehow managed to realize along the way the fact that I have three healthy children is more than I could ever hope to ask for. Right. So if you can base your life surrounding things like that, and if you do have, you know, problems along the way, money's not going to fix them anyway. You know, all the money in the world to somebody who's sick might buy them two months. Yeah, right. But at the end of the day, you know, and and having, you know, and who knows what would have happened if I'd grown up with a silver spoon. I'd probably be at the polo grounds shitting on poor people, too. Right. But I think at this point, if I were to somehow win the lottery or something, I mean, I famously announced I win $200 million. I'm giving the first $100 million away. How awesome. Now, that would be money enjoyed, I think. Right. To, to help out 10,000 people. No, and that's a tricky thing about money. The money is neutral, right? It right. really depends on how you use it. Absolutely. So clearly, there are... It's not even the having money that's a problem. Because I think that if you are... Well, even that can be a problem. Because some people can't handle it and they go money crazy. And that actually makes their life even more miserable than it was before. Yep. That's sad, but that's not even where I'm going with this. It's more the my issue with money is because I think you know if somebody tomorrow want to drop uh, three hundred million dollars in my lap, I think I'll use it very well uh, with some serious enjoyment for myself. But I really do believe that I could also use it in ways to extend the range of happiness around me as far as I can go. The problem is because usually, again, unless one of you kind listeners have a spare 300 million that you want to drop in my lap. It's an experiment. An experiment only. Right. Just to find out, right? But since that's not the most likely scenario, my main issue with the whole money thing is about the time and energy that goes into making money and the whole process of how much that takes away from the year and now. And I see it sometimes, you know, I'm working maybe even on something I like, right? But I am also doing it because there's money tied to it. And I'm working and I'm just there and, you know, my daughter wants to play and I'm like, okay, later, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking there, you know, is what I'm doing really right here? Is like, is there... And clearly it's a matter of balance because, you know, you spend every single second of the day playing. That's awesome. And then you starve. And uh, then you don't spend any second of the day playing and you're all about work, 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 make money. And clearly, you know, happiness has long forgotten you when by the time you realize it is a bad deal. So obviously there's a balance. The problem is that the balance is very, is constantly shifting and it's kind of hard to keep. It's something that you almost have to constantly remind yourself is what I'm going to do going to lead to a greater degree of happiness? Or did I just get caught in a number game where I think that if I have this, I'll be happier, but the process takes so damn long to get there or is so brutal to get there that by the time I get there, it's not going to be that fun. No, and if you spend, if you actually do finally get to that level of money you think you're happy at, are the uh, sins you committed to reach that point or, or the things you ignored and passed up on, 
those are often things that there's no way you can buy those back. Right. It's time and, and, and gone. That's, it's, you know, family forgotten, all sorts of terrible things. And I'm with you, too. I don't know what that balance is either. But I tell you what, would it not be awesome to not have to worry about the rent for a year? Oh, no. In fact, that's the part is I have nothing against the money itself yeah. I have against the process that leads you to get it and the obsession because it becomes like a drug the obsession that one can get where it gets inside your head and work on you in less than pleasant ways well it's funny how we've we've put ourselves into the system of this 30 31 days rollover that a lot of people have jobs that don't work that way right what if what if you're a person where you know you have three sort of gigs a year that are enough money for the year, but they don't fall into the 30-day cycle. Right. So all of a sudden, you know, you end up behind a month late, and then you catch sure. up, and so now your credit's messed up, and there's no way, you know, you're forced to join this sort of, you know, moon-style regulation. You know, that combined with insane facts that banks seem to be able to get all the money they want to for the of Federal course. Reserve for nothing, but if you're as a person wanting to get some money, you got to go to one or two layers of bankers that throw on nice chunks of interest rate, which is fucking usury, yeah. which is a sin. Um, no, totally. And I think that's part of the problem. And then you sense. just built up, you know, more and more troubles. And then it's like this: everything is built that if you don't behave as a perfect every thirty-day person, there's going to be penalties. There's going to be extended fees. Just making it harder on someone who's already having. A difficult time and they just love to squeeze us and don't even get me started on the fact that there hasn't been raises for anybody in 20 years i mean they've literally Not crushed the middle right. class of this country so we are going to see a backlash to a lot of this i mean yeah, I mean, the economy has changed. If you just look at the fact that not that clearly we're advocating that because we're not about the return to the past, but if you look at the fact that when gender roles were screwed up, limiting the options for women and, you know, women stay home as housewives, raise the kids, all of that kind of stuff. Now, that clearly the nasty part of the story. But the interesting part about it is that back 50, 60, 70 years ago, one income would allow you a pretty comfortable middle class life yep. if it was a not a crazy good job, a good job, you know. Today, one income, yeah, good luck. Most of the time, you can't, you you don't even come close to the standard of living that you could have had on one income for the same exact job 60 to 70 years ago. So that's part of the that addiction to money that comes in. And, and to bring that, you know, completely full circle, when, and, you know, we try not to get it political, but when you have these companies like Walmart and McDonald's that are clearly relying on the welfare of sure. the United States to bump up their employee salaries while the owners and the stockholders are bringing home millions and in cases billions of yep. dollars. First of all, what's it going to take for one of these places to wake up? Would it not be awesome if tomorrow morning we open the paper or click on the internet? Paper was this thing that used to be delivered <laughs> that had the news on it. Um, click on the internet and McDonald's decided you're right. We're going to try $15 for an hour an hour, just to see how it goes. And we're going to have to raise every sandwich a nickel to cover this. But A, they can cover the cost that easily. B, that won't affect their stockholders at all. And C, now you're infusing almost double the money into the people that are buying your fucking product in the first place. This doesn't seem to be impossible. Yeah, one awesome book, if you guys haven't checked it out, that deals with with the fast food industry in specific, but in general with sort of these corporate dynamics of corporate welfare and so on. Fast Food Nation, an absolute classic, has sold a gazillion copies. It's a really good book. It's really, really well-researched, well done. The arguments he lays down are pretty hard to argue with because the evidence is there. So yeah, if you haven't checked it out, it's definitely an interesting one. 
What was your experience? Did you grow up around some money or not? No, so much, I, or? Was a, I was an army brat. So right. we, we never realized exactly kind of how poor we were. But, you know, being the child of a, of a, a military officer, they get their housing allowances and things like that. Right. So that's no money at all. But, I mean, you're talking $36,000 a year. Right. Right, in right, the right. 70s, yeah. which certainly wasn't terrible, but no, we never right. had any money. My uh, my grandparents ran an antique store where they were living in the back of the store, you know, right. kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. enough to keep everything open that the store was the house. And so, no, I never had anything like that. But I never really thought I was poor. You know, I yeah. definitely always identified myself as middle class until now, which I saw that slip out of my hands in the past 20 years. But that's, by the way, the funny thing about life in the U.S. is that they've done studies of school, or different schools asking kids whether they think they're middle class or not. Yeah. And private schools where their parents pay $100,000 a year for high school, like some crazy top-notch preparation for Ivy League stuff on the private level, people say they are middle class. <laughs> And people in Compton say they are middle class, you know, in like among really poor, you know, and I pick on Compton, but whatever, you can make a million examples that are the same or sometimes even less money around. But the fact is in really, really poor neighborhoods, people believe they are middle. It's part of sort of the myth of the middle class in the United States that everybody's middle class or clearly it's not exactly... I mean, there's something to be said about that, I guess, in the sense that real poverty, when you take it in uh, objective worldwide standards, is yeah. a very different thing than poverty in the United States. You know, if you have a roof over your head, you have indoor plumbing, you have, uh, you don't starve, you're not doing too bad. There's a basic element there that you're way ahead of the curve compared to real poverty You're worldwide. way in front of several billion people. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not homeless in U.S., you're doing pretty good. And even if you are homeless, which, by the way, clearly sucks on so many levels, when you compare somebody who's homeless in U.S., what they get to eat compared to somebody who is, like, physically starving, as it happens in a bunch of places around the world, okay, as, as much as it's, uh, again, poverty in U.S. is no fun, but when you compare it to poverty in when you, when you exactly when you extend the range a little bit it's yeah. like okay it's not that bad like same thing like for me is like i can't say that i was poor growing up even though in some ways pretty much right i mean if if there is such a thing as this middle class that stretch from one end to another i was on the lower 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 middle class a lot of it because i remember like shit I, okay i'll tell you some sad story about bolelli's upbringing so as a kid, in the Western world, I grew up and I like video games, right? Everybody has video games, it's cool, I want, except I have no money for video games, right? I can't afford them, I can't buy them, I can't buy the system, all of that. What did I have enough money for? I had money for a video gaming magazine that came out every month. So I would buy my $2, $3 worth of magazine every month and read the game reviews. And they usually had one or two pictures from the game, from the gameplay. And then I would spend the rest of the next month imagining what it would be like to play the video game. Because <laughs> so yes, that is uh, one of my. But I mean, yeah, even like the place where I grew up, like the um, my house, shit. We had, you know, the carpets. When you lay carpet on the, I don't know. Do you say carpet? Mm -hmm. It's carpet when it's like uh, like the one we have in this office, right? Yeah. It's like okay. When you lay it, it usually is flat. Except that after enough years, if you never change it, if you never and you treat it somewhat rough, eventually it's not flat anymore. But long before that, people have changed it. Well, not so much in my household, because again, carpets cost money. So I kid you not, like the carpet in my house, it had folds 
they were like minor mountain ranges and I still can hear the screams of guests who probably went looking for a quarter that had fallen on the floor and they got trapped in between the folds of the carpet and never found their way again because I mean it wasn't even it was like a psychedelic cushion in there it wasn't the carpet it was uh, my my ceiling was uh, I remember my bathroom ceiling was awesome it was like in a constant state of transformation because pieces were constantly falling off a tiny leak up there working its slow insidious way through I guess it was in there we didn't see the water dropping on us but there were little pieces of the ceiling <laughs> that were constantly falling off and so on so again not exactly rich um, then again you know I got to I never I, I always had food I did have toys. I I got to go on vacation. I mean, shit, you're not poor, poor. No, you know that's what pretty I mean? serious. It's if like, if well, you can leave the house for a week and go do something else, exactly. You're doing, and I love. I think that stretched idea of the middle class because I only recently realized that I am actually a serf, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just a matter of time till the rest of us wake up. But in those days, or the, when you're talking about, you know, that Compton family, mm-hmm. it's almost that. Mom is going to set up a mindset of, no, we're not, because of the things you said. You guys do eat every day. Right. I get you up and go to school. You're clean. The lights are on. Right. Minor victories, but I think all of us have had that day when the fact that the lights are still on today, some sort of miracle happened. Yeah, I mean, picture yourself uh, in a zombie apocalypse. Go back to when the lights were on and you had food on the fridge. It's not that bad, right? It's yeah. like you would be ultimate luxury to have that. So what, again, What if someone was kind enough to let you know that, you know, this is going to be the last nice warm shower you're going to have for about seven years? Right. So, no, I mean, it's always relative. And that's why it's important in a culture that pushes us constantly to focus on what we don't have and what we need to be happy, to shift the focus on what we do have and how how can you find happiness where you're at right now, even in conditions that are probably far from ideal, far from your ideal and maybe even far from an objective ideal. But the point is, this is how it is. So unless, and again, if you figure out a way to make bank doing something you love, great, go for it. Again, I have no moral objection to making money nope. in and of itself. And maybe you can do great things with that money. Even even if it's only for yourself and your family, maybe you can use it in ways that truly increase the level of happiness. Maybe you can use it even for other people. You know. So I have nothing against that. Pro- the problem is the process. If you don't figure out a way to either marry crazy rich or win the lottery or do something you absolutely love and make bank, then you are in this game where you are, you know, trading pieces of your soul. time, energy, and soul for this stuff, uh, which again, this stuff brings you some advantages, but you have just paid very heavily for them. And so it's, uh, I don't know, it's tricky business. It's um, Well, it's a crazy notion because what is it anyway? I mean, generally, money seems to be something that I get a scoop of on occasion so I can distribute it to somebody else and then it's on its merry way again. Right. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So... No, I don't think money creates happiness at all. I think it makes poverty much better, easier. Right. No, but I mean, it's, yeah, it's a tricky business. And ultimately, the issue is wherever you are in life, more than focus on how many 17,000 steps do I need to climb to be where I want to be, which you can still do if it's necessary, if you feel you need it, if it's important. But also every damn step along the way, figure out a way, how can I get my 
daily dose of happiness at this step where I'm at right now. Um, easier said than done a lot of the times, and I get it because I get the whole, you know, I, there are plenty of times in my life, usually the times in my life when I'm most obsessed about money is when I'm most miserable in general and I'm kind of unhappy to begin with. And so I've chased this idea that if I get that, then I can fix it and say, but really just figuring out right here, right now, how can I enjoy what I have and improve the quality of happiness for myself and those around me? And that does not rule out trying to make more money if it works. But this sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, yeah, not going to work. That's just going to fuck you up badly. And by the time you get there, you are a shell of the human being you were when you started. And you can't take it with you anyway. Right. Yep. 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 So we didn't fix anything. No. But um, hey, but we gave him homework, right? The whole well, point. I would love is- to hear people's insight on it because I, if anybody has a solution, but you can see over and over again, like the cats that win the laundry, blow the money so fast, right? And you know, that's a situation that's going to happen. If even even if you win ten million dollars, which sounds like a whole lot, but when any everybody you've ever met in your life all of a sudden and many you haven't. Sure. Hey, uh, how's it going there, neighbor? Good yeah. to see you, pal. You know, hey, you know, my car just broke down. Yeah, and- of course. You know, that's going to be hard to deal with. Yep, 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 yep. So, I don't know. I wish I could fix it. I don't. I wish I wish we lived in a society that was better at sharing. I return to the, your brilliant idea of uh, let's do an experiment. One of you guys who has $300 million worth investing in an experiment, please dump, dump it in our lap and let's see if we are corrupted by money or not. Well, I'll meet you on Rodeo Drive. I'm going to need some new threads to go with all this cash. Yeah, I think it's a worthy scientific endeavor, so you're supporting science, really. And you can't be, you know, walking around in these nice threads, so we need a Bentley or something to ride around in. We need a driver. We need a chef. Indeed. I have a dream today. And now we cross the Ethereum plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Dream time! Yes, indeed. So, here is a rather strange one. Um, I woke up and I was like, what the hell was that? Because I dreamt of this one guy who was trying to convince me to buy stocks in a company um, as a business opportunity, which that's already hilarious because me buying stocks, yes, that happens all the time, right? It's so what he happens has, when you start wearing a tie. Yeah, no, it's... Hey, well, let's not even go there. But, but no, for those of you who know, I do not wear ties, goddammit. I have to for a job interview of some kind where I'll be beaten up and they'll all start You should see the haircut, y'all. And saying... Uh, He's ready to join the Marines. Yeah, again, that's not a choice, damn it. That was like some Armenian ladies that I paid $9 <laughs> to cut my hair. And she said, I said, a tiny bit. And she said, sure. Or something along She's those lines. Wanted to get and your just, money's worth, and yeah. who knows what a tiny bit means in Armenian. And I think she just hates hair. I think that's just how it is. It's, she has <laughs> must eradicate her, all hair. Her life is a crusade against the hair. So it's. Uh, I, I tell you a sad little story. I was ten years old, and I had the money to go get my own haircut. Unfortunately, we were living in Fort Campbell, Kentucky at the time, and I wasn't totally clear on which the right haircut place was to go. So right next to the PX was like the massive fifteen seat soldier cut. So in I go and ride my bike down and go in and get my own haircut. And they sat me down in the chair and 19 seconds later, done, was not quite ready. This was 1979, so the high and tight was good for the fellas. But uh, for the kids in school, 
endless, endless hilarity for yeah. weeks on end as Buzzy, you know, entered the room. So anyway, kids, be careful. If it's a military base, you may not want to get your hair cut in that place if you don't want the high and tight. And ask the Armenian lady if she actually is the one who hates hair or if she's a different Yes, I hate Armenian hair. Lady. See my yeah. sign? I hate hair. That's exact. But that should have clued me in when I walked into the place. You don't place, think of that, though. You're like, oh, you know, it kind of makes sense, I guess. In any case. <laughs> <laughs> so, in my dream, these guys try to sell me stocks of this company. And what does the company do? They design and sell targets for shooting, you know, for like gun ranges. And the targets are designed for a specific audience of hardcore right-wingers. So beside the classic Obama target, you have Mexicans hopping the fence, trying to cross the border. You have very flamboyant gay guys, you know, the outline milled away. You have women burning bras as some sort of feminist thing. Uh, there were know. assholes that actually made Trayvon Martin targets Jesus of Christ. kids with hoodies. No, but that's, mean, a part, that's the thing that was disturbing. You know, all the Hollywood celebrities or all the general list of people that, you know, the hardliner really hate. By the time I woke up, well, actually, I'll, I'll wrap it up and then I'll get to the by the time I woke up and exactly what you're saying. Because, by the way, the guns came engraved with, like, Jesus, please deliver my bullets to their targets prayer in them, which I thought they were, you know. And the guy kept saying, this is a genius business idea. I can't fail. It can't fail. It's just too good. By the time I woke up, I thought, it kind of is. <laughs> you know, it, this stuff is not just my crazy imagination this would actually sell a lot and it's scary as hell because yes i mean the shit that people really do is a bit disturbing the but yeah in any case that was as long as i don't go into the reality aspect of it and i stick to the humor of it all it was actually kind of a funny dream and i woke up thinking what the hell but yeah the reality aspect of it not so funny not so funny at all no I think, you, I think your dreams have been disturbed by reality. Indeed. That's never a good thing. And you assholes who made those Trayvon Martin things, I hope bad things happen to you. Come on, man. Really? Man. Man. Cool. I'm ready to the I love you, baby. The uh, delicious sounds of our friend Big Is tells us it's time for a Is story. Indeed. C- couple of quick ones. Uh, again, we're keeping it short because we're hungry and it's before lunch. So <laughs> we need to move quickly. Um, other day, uh, Isabella looked at me and she just take a hard look at me and she said, you, ca- you look cranky. And I'm like, well, I am cranky. Like, Why? You know, that I think about it, you know, it's stupid little stuff that really shouldn't get to me, but it gets to me anyway. People who don't return urgent messages, other humans who bug me for various reasons, you know, again, stupid shit that shouldn't, but does. So she kind of put her war face on. She was like, I'll punch them in the face and drop them in hot lava. Nice. She was very protective of me. So keep that in mind, you people out there. This is a warning. Just don't piss me off or I'll have to unleash my trusted bodyguard on you. So that's where it's at. And on a different note, again, the strange things that come out of her mouth, uh, this was just a couple of days ago. She was um, she was watching a cartoon. So it has nothing to do with what she's about to say, because she's watching this cartoon, and all of a sudden she pauses it. And she looks at me, and she goes, how can I take Jimi Hendrix's place? And I'm like, huh, what? She's like, well, you know, he's dead. 
he can play. Nobody's playing like him. I, I want, I want to take his place. I want to play just like him. Time for a trip to the guitar center. That's what I say, most definitely. So that's probably the guitar is what's gonna happen. We'll see how that goes. But I was like, you are weird, man. You're watching My Little Pony or something, and you post that to tell me that your intention is to figure out a way to take Jimi Hendrix's place. That's a, I, I'm, I'd be happy for somebody to. I agree. Think so. how many think how many albums we were robbed of. Yeah, I know. Messed up. Totally messed up. That's always one of those little things that bugs me a little bit. Of course. He was just getting warmed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy's a god. That's a fact. You know, no that is, those are the guys that the muse just jumps right in and plays right through them. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Not, not trying to diminish his talents at all. I don't mean it that no, way. No, I mean no, no, of course. He is fully connected. Yeah. There's something there that's just coming from outer space and directly talking to him. Because it was all brand new. Yeah. We've never heard it before. And even after, you have the people who try to copy him and fail, but there's nobody who really does what he does in the same way. They're just no. not the um, just too cool. And on the music end, I guess, the in the car a few days ago, she was like, I really like this song. And I was thinking, well... That's because you have excellent taste in music, and it was Gallo's Paul by Led Zeppelin, one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Do you see that, that so. Jimmy went back and remastered everything? They're going to do a release of the really? first. It may just be the first three records for some reason, but he was on uh, one of those late-night shows just a couple nights ago announcing that these are coming out. And it's not just that. It's also awesome alternate takes of the big ones and songs that have been lost in time. Led Zeppelin, Wet Dream, that song. Oh. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. On that note, um, let's jump into something else. We've reached the point in the episode where we're going to zip open the digital mailbag and, and get our lava-proof gloves in case there's anything nasty in there and pull it out and have a look and see what everybody has to say. And boy, it's been sort of a, a wild uh, couple of weeks for email. So where would you like to begin? Let's jump with Angela trying to prove that we do have female listeners. We um, know you're out there, ladies, and we appreciate you. And also actually somebody else. Shit, I forgot the name. Somebody else asked for the same question. So there were two people. Um, regarding the meaning of the new t-shirts, which, again, when you're looking for meaning in what we have done, I appreciate the fact that you take the time to study the 17,000 characters that are part of the t-shirt. T-shirt, by the way, actually, before I get into meaning and symbols and stuff, uh, by this point, the t-shirts, everyone was ordered. Um, t-shirts have been sent out, so you should be you should have received them since quite a while by now. So we should be getting some pictures of people with their T-shirts on the Twitter at some point. Precisely. I think one person done it so far. Um, there is the odd chance that if you live in some strange part of the world and the mailman has to cross mountain ranges inhabited by cannibals in order to get there, maybe the mailman got caught and now your t-shirt is currently blood smeared and worn by a cannibal who just finished feeding on your mailman. There's that possibility. If that is the case and you haven't received the t-shirt by the time this episode airs, please do let me know. I will send my ninja rescue squad to eliminate the cannibals and recover your shirt. <laughs> there is the odd chance that it may be heavily bloodstained and no amount of washing cleans it. Both the blood of the original mailman that 
paid for his life trying to deliver your goods as well as the cannibal whose head had to be chopped off by a with a katana by my trusted ninjas but again you will get your shirt one way or another so please let me know um, what's going on if you received it or not and and also before we jump into the um, again the meaning of the shirt and so on we need to dedicate a minute to the man who makes it all possible the great Bennett from Shirt Design who has been sponsoring us and making these shirts for us and all of that. Bennett is a mystery. Let's just say it because nobody, you know, Bennett has sponsored us, he sponsored Duncan, he sponsored Chris Ryan, Matt Staggs from the Disinfocast, maybe even more. I don't even know, I lost track, but you know, he has definitely helped a lot of podcasts out and none of us has ever met him. Right, nobody knows. He's know, a mysterious figure, that's for sure. The way I picture it, every time I exchange uh, emails with Bennett, I imagine that he's uh, part Charlie from Charlie's Angels and part the Dosekis most interesting man in the world. <laughs> I figure that you know, whenever I type, I picture my message heading for in cyberspace, reaching Thailand, and I picture him there sitting by the pool sipping a drink with dark shades on he has his computer in his lap as he's replying to me there are like about 15 women in bikinis all around him one fanning him one feeding him strawberries and uh, occasionally they dist- people disturb his quiet to help uh, you know let's say some drug lords from the golden triangle have an issue and it looks like they are gonna go to war and they call Bennett to mediate and for mysterious ways that nobody knows he has the influence to pull it off and he tells them essentially be a good boy don't kill this guy you give him what you owe him and and they all make peace and they say thank you Bennett thank you for help us keeping the peace that's the kind of man who makes our t-shirts. So. And I, I figure when the shipments of t-shirts are coming across, the, the t-shirts are never alone in that shipping container. I think, you know, lost antiquities that have been, you know, stolen by other countries are, are secretly returned to where they belong because of Bennett's kindness. Yes, I think he's a secret benefactor who helps keep the world running smoothly. And um, That's what it's got to be. May all the women in bikini be very nice to you. Having said that, Let's take a quick look at our t-shirt. So yes, our new t-shirt is the royal clusterfuck. There's so much stuff going on, and that is my perverted imagination. Uh, again, I I can see logic for why I should be arrested at times. So what's on the t-shirt? We have this forest in which this Dionysian party is taking place. This is an image of life lived without the 3,000 inhibitions that keep humans caged and uh, thanks to the influence of the great god Dionysus god of wine and again for clarification purposes no I do not believe that there is a god Dionysus out there that tells us I do believe in an energy in a power in a, and this is the story of Dionysus is so cool maybe I'm gonna use it for a story time one of these days it's just uh, I'm gonna get into it but basically Dionysus is sort of the protector of uh, people who live outside of conventional society he's the liberator who takes away the chains that conventional society has put on you and free human beings to what human beings could be if uh, they hadn't been domesticated through all of this stuff they say that the female followers of Dionysus in particular you know in ancient Greece because uh, clearly women were heavily oppressed regardless of status so 
was big among women, the cult of Dionysus, and the whole idea of the drinking of wine to reach these ecstatic states that free you from your social roles and you come in contact with this sort of raw, natural energy. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. So among them, we do have quite a few of the very sexually liberated uh, followers by, of Dionysus dancing around in various states of nakedness around the fire. We have the one and only Rich dancing around with them in the form of a satire. Good evening, ladies. Exactly. And, uh, you know, satires were also part of the following of Dionysus. Uh, Tom Robbins is also, along with Rich, as in satire form, dancing in there, with, along with the god Pan, who, again, as a satires go, nobody is more famous than him. So this is an image of sort of raw, happy, drunken sexuality. Speaking of happy, drunken sexuality, we have my all-time idol, E.Q. Sojun, from the 1400s, I want to say, Japan, who's drinking wine that's dripping off the boob of a lovely follower of Dionysus. Dionysus himself hanging out with his leopard and some grapes, some more or less anonymous couple having sex in the middle of it all. We have uh, Shiva smoking some serious ganja and out of the cloud of smoke that's coming out of it you see the god Ganesh floating in the cloud sort of Lord of the Rings style where they make the smoke rings yeah that's brilliant (laughs) we have uh, Duncan Trussell eating a strawberry while riding a tiger references to our um, strawberry zen story that we have repeated multiple times Yours truly and his famed middle finger while holding Isabella, also while riding tigers. Tigers are also one of those animals that are uh, associated with Dionysus, and when Dionysus arrives, is often uh, portrayed as having tigers all around him and other wild animals. Again, emphasizing this element of wildness of that associated with the whole. Possibly my favorite image of the whole thing. There's Nietzsche, as in Friedrich Nietzsche sporting again these are tiny details that are pretty much impossible to see on the shirt but it's fun to know they are there he's sporting datsusara shorts and the original drunken taoist uh, t-shirt while uh, carrying a bottle of wine in one hand and a surfboard in the other as is we've imagined happy nietzsche which to me is the next step in human evolution since you know nietzsche was such a brilliant amazing human being but, you know, he lived in Germany at the end of the 1800s, heavy vibes, and instead we're freeing him from all that. And he was big on the whole Dionysian thing, too. He wrote a lot about it, so he seemed like a fitting homage with his heavy mustache, but ready to go surfing. We have the glorious Savannah M chopping off Buddha's head. And I Buddha request. Giving a thumbs up. This is not some uh, bloody nasty. This is a... Tongue-in-cheek, kill the Buddha reference is a famous story from Lin Chi, a Zen master, pronounced Rinzai in Japanese, that uh, was the Zen master who argued, you know, the famous tale of if you meet the Buddha, kill him, meaning dogmatism is worse than, you know, the whole idea when people meet the, their master, their teacher, the, they put somebody on a pedestal as this earlier than thou figure and end up worshiping this figure and becoming very dogmatic about it as opposed to what buddhas really do is trying to get you to become a buddha it's not about worshiping them it's trying to unleash the your internal buddha so worshiping somebody else is ridiculous according to lynch's view 
Linchy, by the way, again, another internal reference, was an idol of IQ, so even our idols have their own idols. And um, and so that's kind of a cool, we put a gladius in Savannah's, ham, Savannah's hands, chop off Buddha's head. And when I tweeted that image back then, some uh, Buddhist lady got all pissed off, like he was a sacrilegious. And I replied, I said, you know, he's like, I'm taking it, you're not familiar with the works of Buddhist Zen master Linchi. She never replied, but uh -oh. I think she liked it. But no, this is not an offense to, this is actually an appreciation to, this is a Zen story. So we have two Zen references right there, the strawberry and the kill the Buddha in one t-shirt, plus a Zen master in Ikkyu Sojun, plus, so again, you can probably spend about 16 hours sitting there studying the t-shirt and finding new details at every minute. Well, you have the, the most famous uh, member of all, the Stop the Press's uh, reprint the gnome, uh, yes, there's a gnome standing next to the couple of insects waving three fingers as in three orgasms have been achieved so far. <laughs> They're just warming up. And exactly. And so this is all, you know, I expect I will be truly bummed out if about 57 years from now somebody has not written a PhD thesis or dissertation rather on the subtle meanings of the second drunk and Taoist t-shirt. I think it's only right if that happens. Well, my son in intends to find out if he's going to get thrown out of school that day with it. We're, we're, you know, 50-50. Yeah. And on the getting thrown out of school part, yes, people had been asking us after our first shirt to do something a little tamer. I am very sorry. Nah. It did not work. No. We actually went way beyond the first shirt. I will, I swear, try at some point to tame it down and maybe do another shirt at some point down the road that's or perhaps someone can figure out what the, the awesome logo might be so yeah no we'll play with some stuff but before that i was thinking it would be fun i'm thinking of doing some special edition by request only but this is going to be months down the road first we are going to sell these shirts and then whoever wants them and so on but by the time uh, later down the road i want to do just the niche shirt alone just the kill the buddha shirt alone something like that by request only that we will not keep in stock but we'll worry about it when the time comes did they put the, the drunken taoist on the back did that happen yes there is a uh, the drunken taoist podcast on the back nice so tomorrow you'll be getting yours they are right now packed high in my house and i'll be i'll be getting you your very own so now there. I have something to wear to the movie premiere. Exactly. So there you go for the t-shirts. Now, next question. Ben Burgess asks us a couple of questions. One is very much related to our rant of the day. Um, and he basically said that, you know, a lot of podcasts keep emphasizing this notion. The ones he listened to are at least, you know, probably as and their friends kind of thing. They keep emphasizing this notion of breaking free from sort of some shitty job that hold you down, uh, following what you want to do, blah, 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 which is all clearly good stuff. At the same time, one of the things he says is, my job is not a bad job. I kind of like it, actually. But do I lay down at night thinking how excited I am about it? No, I'm not. You know, it's not, it's not some crazy passionate thing I have. It's, it's not a bad job and it's fairly pleasant. And it allows me actually to dedicate time to do a lot of things that I do enjoy. Uh, hanging out with friends, I have a lot of hobbies that I can afford, I have this and that, all of this kind of stuff. So he has, uh, you know, he paints this situation. And basically the question in that regard is, is this uh, 
like sometimes listening to the podcast making you feel like he's somewhat guilty or lazy for not raising the middle finger to the corporate job and moving to the Himalayas to, in his words, set up my own business exporting organic yak butter, which is blessed by Tibetan monks or something. <laughs> I particularly like or something, yes. Uh, and so he's a, what do you think? He's a kind of contented inertia ever acceptable or even optimal. Is a marginal sacrifice in vocational path a suitable trade-off if you facilitate other aspects of life which are fulfilling and enjoyable? Or is this just fear speaking? And, you know, it could be a lot better and I'm just, you know, not taking the jump because I'm comfortable. Both. Yeah, both. <laughs> I don't sure. know, man. It's like, it's that's a hard one. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. I understand yeah. that completely, you know? And it seems like he's got his eyes open already. So yeah. he realizes, no, this isn't the greatest thing. But damn, isn't it nice when that check shows up on Friday versus going after whatever this mysterious, you know... And part of the cool... That's for sure. And part of the cool thing is that it sounds like he can have time and energy left to, to dedicate look for to a lot of things in joy yeah. and have fun. So he sounds like he's describing a good life. He's describing... So some of the question is, do I really want to just throw it all into... Like, redefine it all and just change it all around in the hope that it can become even 10 times more ecstatic? Or is there such a good thing as saying, you know what? I'm having it good. Maybe this is... I like it. I'm happy with the way things are. And really, in that sense, the answer is both because it's tricky. I don't think there's a... Nobody can tell you which one is the right or wrong choice in there because what you're doing is obviously working. It's good. It's You have a good life. End of story. At the same time, could you find some crazy other side of yourself that you have makes you look at your whole life and say, I was happy that way? Jesus, who was I back then? You know? Sure, you could. At the same time, because you're taking a jump, you can also lose the good stuff and not get any. So it's, yeah, man, <laughs> it really boils down to how much of a gambler you are. And maybe we're just cautious because it's it's difficult to self- tell somebody just to jump out and go for it because the wipeouts can be extreme. Yep. That's why nobody can tell you. That's it's, right. And you got to feel for it, you know, and sometimes you just got to go for it. That's for sure, too. So that's the whole other side. Um but it seems like in his situation, you got time. Yeah, and the thing is... Let it roll for a while. You got time yep. to prepare. You got time to dabble in things here and there and reach those feelers out. I mean, one thing, if I couldn't get anything else into somebody's head, don't ever quit your job until the next one is in lined up because it makes it much easier. Yeah, that's a fact. The, maybe, yeah, if you do have time, you know, spending a month in the Himalayas, hanging out with the Tibetan monks and with the yak. Maybe you may you be f- allergic to yak Yeah, butter. maybe you find out that yak really <laughs> smells really bad and yeah. you don't want to be around it. Or, uh, <laughs> or maybe you are like, oh my God, this is the life for me. I can't possibly go back. The beauty of where you're at is that, yes, you can test things out without having to just jump from one day to the next and lose it all if uh, you make the wrong choices. You can try things. You can double a little. You can play with a few things and see what the result is. Interestingly enough, his second question is actually kind of related to this double a little in a few things. He addresses it as an issue of mastery versus balance kind of like he argues you know um, Japanese swordsman Miyamoto Musashi said that once you understand the way broadly you can see it in all things there's this old notion that if you master an art you kind of then develop the tool to master anything else in some way and you can see patterns in I guess this is very Taoist you know it's like the Tao is in everything so once you figure out the Tao of uh, one thing 
it's much easier to start seeing it in many other aspects of life because they all they may speak different specific languages but the substance is the same so one of the things he says is that he has uh, dedicated himself to certain practices reaching you know putting his 10,000 hours in uh, reaching some level of mastery in it and that was before and he got a lot out of it he was awesome at the same time he was very narrow you know all he knew was kind of like that one field and a little more since then he started diversifying his interests considerably you know and going in many other directions where he does not have the time and energy clearly to put 10,000 hours in each one of them because there are just not enough hours in a day but you know one end he has gained a lot of exposure to many different things and understanding of different things which as he put it gives him more balance and breadth of experience but at the expense of the juice that's associated with the single-minded focus on one thing with the struggle and sacrifice that and the attainment of certain level of accomplishment that usually goes with it again my man both <laughs> yeah well what was his yes. what was his expertise uh he doesn't spe- he say a strength sport doesn't okay. specify what we're talking about exactly but now one of the things that um Again, this is another one of in, in which there is no bad choice in itself. It's really a matter of balance because clearly if all you ever do is double in 10,000 things and never go beyond the surface of any, you miss some, some real deep stuff that you can gain happiness, depth to yourself, to your practice that you can get that way. If you only dedicate to you one thing and one thing only, you turn into an asshole specialist who loses global vision and becomes so narrow that nobody other than the three freaks who are involved in that one particular field want to talk to. It's boring. You don't know life. You only know that one field. So it really is kind of a balance because, again, there are only so many. If you are immortal, yeah, you could gain your 10,000 hours in 17,000 different fields, but you're not. So the point is, how do you keep that and to me is you can develop you're not going to become the best guy in the world at one thing if you follow several other paths probably but you can get and i mean maybe you can it's odd it's unlikely typically specialists tend to go further in one field but occasionally there is i mean hell you know you have the Jimi hendrix who never study guitar he play, spent a hell of a lot of time playing but he clearly spent a lot of, lot, lot of time doing a lot of other stuff as well so you know it's not like so the crazy creative genius in many ways can go further but this is not because you double in 10,000 things is you double in a lot of things but you also dedicate some heavy time to one or two things more than others so some degree of specialization where maybe you are really you don't put 10,000 hours, but you put 4,000 hours in three fields. Uh, my math is likely off, but close enough. The, um, that may give you, make you really freaking good at three different things and still allow you to double in a few more, at least superficially. For the way I'm made, that's more interesting. That's much more interesting than the one thing and one thing only approach. But I do understand the worry of doing too many things without going beyond the surface of anyone also is a trap. I, I agree with that. Well, it's the battle between, you know, jack of all trades, master of none versus variety is the spice of life. Yep. So once again, a choice for our friend. Yeah, Ben, you don't have a bad life, I would say. You're, you know, you're between a good thing or a good thing. Which one should I go for? You know, it's like, 
yeah, really this is a, mess, a matter of balance on this, not a matter of right or wrong, because there really isn't in the choices. And technically, enough. whichever way you go, your alternate self in the multiverse is trying the other thing anyway. So <laughs> I like that. Someone's going to do <laughs> That's okay. That's right, yes. Cool. So with that, well, even though we have a lot of backed up mail, um, we'll zip it up for now. And those of you guys who haven't got to yet, we will, probably, hopefully. If we don't, you know, do let us know if four months go by from the time you write and we haven't touched into it. Occasionally, there's the occasional email that got lost or something. So by all means, do let us know. For now, let's zip it. Zip! Story time brought to you by our friends at Sure Design T-shirts. Be sure to check out the awesome new collection of how shall we call them hemp genres. Um, now available at Sure Design T-shirts. I'm wearing one right now. He is. It's awesome. Acapulco Gold. Yes. Maybe my favorite one. Actually, the Maui Wow is my favorite, but you know, not referring to anything uh, clandestine because it's all legal here in, in California. You can even have it delivered to your house like a pizza. Imagine that, folks. Just imagine that for a second. Oh, yes. Th- million thanks to the wonderful humans at Fly Delivery operating out of Glendale. You guys are good people. On that note, the, um, here is a story about a woman who. I don't know even what to say about her. She's a scary human being. In uh, my mother a scary human being. Yes, uh, that's it. How did you know I was? To, I, well, I, about- that's the only woman I know that bounced a tornado back into the sky with her powers of 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 of, of, of darkness. Well, she ever ran for her money with Lyudmila Pavlichenko. Ooh. Ukrainian lady who happened to be about 24 years old in 1941 when Germany decided that invading the Soviet Union was a good idea. She was studying history in college at the time and, you know, minding her business, doing her thing, and the German invasion began, so she promptly volunteered into the Red Army. Now, the Red Army was... uh, big. One thing that they had was they had somewhat more open ideas to women in the army than you know in uh, non-communist places but again that does not mean they were not crazy patriarchal as well so there was still uh, you know oh sure great we can use you as a nurse and she's like well not really that's not really what i want to do i want to fight germans and the thing with her is that she in her spare time growing up she had become a pretty good sharpshooter she would go to the shooting range shoot with rifles participate in competitions and this and that so they decided, okay, well, let's see, let's see if you know what you're doing. So they decided to give her a test at some point. They're like, you know what, we're short of men anyway. We're getting overrun by Germans everywhere. Let's see if you know what you're doing. And if you do, great. Then, so you see, there's a couple of Romanians over there who are working for the Germans. Pick them off, and then we see. So she get her gun, she shoot them dead, and they say, okay, you're you're on the job. Uh, you can come with us. So she become basically a, a sniper for the Red Army, and she'll continue on. She said during her first uh, real battle, she said that she freak out. She's really scared, you know, when bullets start flying, she gets completely paralyzed, as typically most human beings do. But the thing that happens is that as bullets start flying, the guy who was standing right next to her uh, gets shot and killed. And her comment is, he was such a nice, happy boy. 
and he was killed just next to me. After that, nothing could stop me. So that makes her snap out of her uh, bullet-induced terror, and she'll turn into a terror for invading German armies. Because basically what she does over the next few months is she'll start just picking off German officers, soldiers, anybody she can pick off. There's at some point during some major campaign near um, Odessa, she killed 187 enemies. In, um, as a sniper? As a sniper. Okay. It's, uh, by the time the war will be over for real, she'll, uh, the, her official count recognized by the Red Army will be 309 enemies killed, including 36 enemy snipers in which she would get into sniper duels with, where they would... They, as she put it, there was one of the tensest experiences of life because basically you have to stay still for like 15 to 20 hours until somebody makes one wrong move in that sniper duel. And in fact, she said this one time she was 20 hours in this duel with a German sniper and she said eventually, as she put it, finally he made one move too many. And that was that. 20 hours? Yes. So the willpower, endurance, tension to stay with it the whole time. But yeah, a little... She was wounded four times during the course of fighting. She, uh, you know, some of the Germans... She became famous even among the Germans by now that they figured that there was this female sniper that had been seen by others before getting shot. And... uh, so loudspeakers would regularly call out to her offering her chocolate and the position as a German officer if she switched sides, oh. which I wonder if she was Korakau chocolate, you know, we'll ask. <laughs> I and, doubt um, it. Yeah, I doubt <laughs> it too, but you know, and uh, and it's funny, like what she said about her career, you know, killing 309 people in war, that's a pretty intense kind of thing. And she say, well, killing na- Nazis, created no complicated emotions in her the way she put it was the only feeling i have is the great satisfaction a hunter feels who has killed a beast of prey uh she said you know every german who remained alive it was somebody who was going to kill women children and old folks that germans are armless therefore if i kill a german i'm saving lives wow did, did you see enemy at the gates uh yeah 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 exactly. how did, how did they the not whole... make a movie of this I know, seriously. Is she lost in history? or? Well, I mean, I guess lost enough that I study history, I teach history, and I didn't know it until I ran into some random articles. So I'm sure it's it's not like completely lost. You know, she has her Wikipedia page. She has, you know, she is not really lost, but, you know, not exactly mainstream, that's for sure. But, um, you know, the whole, even that is a little harsh on so many levels because clearly when you understand the dynamics you know most of the people at war including the german she was fighting i'm sure a bunch of them were probably nice normal people who were just being sent to as pawns at the front at the same time you know that's the contest right you don't exactly have the luxury to ask questions and let's sit down and let's find out if you are a nice human before i shoot you or you shoot me it's like I'm only shooting the mean ones yeah that does not work in war that's the nature of the business so Eventually, they send her on a tour to the United States on a diplomatic mission as Stalin was kind of trying to get support for the second front so that, you know, Americans and stuff may jump in and attack Germany quicker to ease some pressure of the Soviet Union. And one of the things, 
the funniest thing that you get is that the the media in the United States at the time during World War II, the whole notion of a woman sniper killing 309 enemies in war was so foreign that when you look at all the questions they would ask her, they are hilariously and painfully stupid, right? They are this thing that you're like, you know, American journalism at its finest, I guess, because the kind of question she would get was, you know, can Russian women wear makeup when they go into battle? And, uh, you oh, know, the, the New York Times did a whole article focusing mostly on their looks and style. Some reporter mentioned how her uniform, maybe she would wear something else because the way she wear her uniform make her look kind of fat or something. And she was like, "Say there, doll, you ought to hike up that skirt a little bit before you start shooting Nazis." That's basically exactly what they told. They're almost this is obviously pre-December 1941. No, this is uh, you mean the visit? Or yeah. The, um, the visit, the visit, the visit. No, I think it's 1942, if I remember correctly, is when she comes. So we're still States. we're we're still gearing up and haven't sent or, anybody over yet. Yeah, that's all I meant. Or maybe that. it's 1943. I think Stalin wanted support on the on the Eastern Front as well, which he's never gonna get in that regard. You know, right, that's his job and that's the end of it. But yeah, the whole thing is like, can you imagine like somebody whose uniform has been soaked in blood multiple times from getting shot, and they're like. That uniforms make you look kind of fat. Maybe you should. Holy smokes. It's pretty funny. She became a friend of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, the first lady at the time. That's very cool. Years later, she went to visit her in uh, Russia and they they met and all of that. So that's kind of a cool story. But yeah, that's not the kind of tale that most people associate with World War II. A female sniper was like one of the most successful snipers in history in that regard. It's... And again, you are a 24-year-old studying history in college, and the next day you become one of the top snipers in World War II. Wow. No telling which direction you go. Seriously. Well, that's kind of the madness. I don't think definitely none of us have ever encountered. I mean, asking my grandmother's stories about World War II, when they shipped out, it wasn't like, you know, this is a 12-month tour, this is a 15-month tour. This is... Yeah. When and if we get done, however long it takes to work, we right. might be back. Right, exactly. And just to be sitting and waiting and not knowing, just yeah, and just a tad bit intense. But so, Mister Ludmila, or again, since I screw up everybody's name, I'm sure I'm screwing up hers too. And I'm glad that she's not around to shoot me because that would be bad. <laughs> but yeah, Ludmila Pavlichenko, one tough lady, I can tell you that much. Well, there you have it, folks. Another excellent story time brought to you by our friends at Sure Design T-Shirts. If you need wacky Sure Design T-Shirts, go get some, because they make your nipples happy. The funky, fancy music, which track name I owe somebody out there, and I'll get that to you real soon, uh, can only mean one thing. It's the end of yet another exciting episode of the Drunken Dallas podcast, but uh, rest assured, there'll be no more in a couple weeks. And before we wrap, a couple of quick things. One, um, no donations this time. No, um, I will not display my English skill mispronouncing everybody's name. Because here is what's up. Summer is coming. Summer means I want some vacation, which means we are pre-recording quite a few episodes and releasing them as time goes by. But that also means that whoever donates from this point forward is probably going to get their name in a long list toward the end of summer, end of August or early September. 
a lot of these episodes are all recorded in the same few days so there's that t-shirts you guys uh, i think we mentioned it already within the episode so yes expect your t-shirt if you ordered it and if you haven't and you want to check it out there are links in the episode notes where you can find the page to see the colors and everything else the yeah, color, we re- yeah we should recommend uh, the color situation yeah the color thing by the way the ones who ordered the orangish kind of color because it wasn't really orange nobody knew what it was well whatever it was it's not exactly it's more sort of a red rust kind of color i personally emailed every single person who ordered an orange shirt to make sure it was okay 99 percent were fine with the rust and uh, somebody wanted an orange which was great because i think i had one orange that arrived by random mistake and it was exactly the right size so perfect there you go but uh yes so check out the shirts keep in mind that the the color for the orange is a little more reddish than orange and let me know Again, just a mention, uh, if you guys want to check out my mom's book, Dakota Warrior, it's out on Amazon. We discussed it in the past on the podcast. If you want it, it's out there. The extremely sore spot of the Taoist lecture series. Yes, it has been there. Yes, has been. I made the mistake of announcing it two months ago, three months ago, whatever it was. And no, I'm deeply sorry. It's not ready. will be at some point. Um... Evan has changed his life, moved across, you know, I can't really ask the poor guy to do extraordinary work. The problem is we are trying to address it. But yes, for those of you guys who have been sending me emails and keep sending email about the Taoist lecture series, sorry if I sound cranky where I reply. It's just that I'm, I was really, I was too excited. I kind of announced it too early. I got too excited because my part was done and I forgot the detail that when my part is done, it does not mean that it's all done. There's still a lot of technical stuff that need to be taken care of. It will be, hopefully, I won't even say it because I don't know. It'll be ready when it's meant to be. Yeah, I guess so. Let's just say it that way. And uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, keep in mind, I haven't forgotten about it. It will happen. When it does happen, we will announce it. Uh, we don't know when that is, though, yet. Uh, other things, thank you to Korakao Chocolate. So if you guys want chocolate and check out their selection, you can check the link in the episode notes and audible.com those of you guys who can't get enough of podcasting and want something else for your audio listening pleasure audible has a crazy wide collection of books articles and all sort of stuff and the beauty of it is that you can by going through our link you can try it for free you can try one free month and if you don't like it you just walk away with a free ebook i mean sorry ebook i'm delirious uh audiobook if um if you do like it great then you're on and you get one every month so really a no loss there you can try it in relaxed fashion anything else again thank you so much for those of you guys who have reviewed us on itunes we passed the 500 reviews that's very sweet Um, again that doesn't mean that if you're there and you haven't done it yet if you do it we love you deeply so plenty of room for 500 more yes exactly so please do that and of course uh daisy house Daisy House, thank you, thank you, thank you for the music. It's always, I never get tired of it. It's just that cool. Anything else that we need to bring up? No. It's all done. Okay, sweet, wonderful humans. You have a very beautiful day.
And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> <laughs> This was great. It's fucking awesome. Get back to work.